Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of the Pioneer Perspective. We just recorded two days ago and we're fucking here again. It's 8 a.m. for me, it's 2 p.m. for him. I know I've said in the past... Oh, him is Alex. We don't fucking care about... Shut the fuck up. I'm I'm, I'm talking. (laughs) (laughs) I've said in the past, I would happily get up early to do a recording. And we're doing so because literally we have no other choice. Because in the next week, he's unavailable. And the week after that, I believe also unavailable. At least for a top 10. Potentially. And also cool to get the top 10 out before the set actually releases. So, Yeah. Which... Okay, I was at the LGS with Adrian yesterday because I was going to go for an FNM, and if it didn't fire, we we're just going to play test anyway for the RCQ today because Adrian's going with me, um, as well as Epic from the Discord server in his clown car full of people. So that's going to be fun. <laughs> Which is today, hooray! But we're we're play testing, and uh, someone asked one of the guys at the shop. He's like, "So yeah, next week is pre-release, right?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. And Adrian looks at me and he's like, next week is already the fucking pre-release? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's how I feel. Yeah, I went to uh, an FNM yesterday, and let's put it this way. I'm glad there's no magic for me next week because I don't want to play a pre-release. I played the Blue-White Colossus deck, and I went 0-2, 1-2, 0-2, and I just did fuck. My deck just did nothing all evening. Like, I never got to do the thing. I had multiple oh, games where Colossus. I had like a, yeah, I had like oh, a million yeah. artifacts in play. I had about one game where I had my I had a brass knuckles in play, I had a haste equipment in play, and I had a wedding invitation in play to give him unblockable, and I had like fifteen mana worth of non creature artifacts. So literally I had to draw a Colossus or an Inventor's Fair, and I just could one shot my opponent for two mana. And I didn't I think I drew had five draws for turn. I had a Glintnest Crane, an Engineer, and like uh, an Ingenious Smith, and like three cantripping artifacts. Didn't find any of it, died. And I was just like, yeah, this deck just doesn't fucking do anything sometimes. <laughs> Half yeah, that the is time. the problem with those type of decks, especially artifact ones that are a lot of setup. Yeah. Um, and another game was against Spirit, and he just countered my early artifacts, even like the kind of do-nothing ones, just to deny me CMC. Yeah. And then I did draw the Colossus, and I was like, this is a 7-mana 10-10. Like, that's not good that. enough. <laughs> yeah. I actually crushed Adrian's dreams yesterday. So um, we were playtesting, and uh, I uh, I sleeved up my blue-white control deck again. Because I, I was like, hey, wh- what deck would you like to borrow? I'm lending out Mono Green, I'm lending out Grease Fang. So there's a bunch of other decks that you were able to borrow from if you so choose. And um, he wanted... Uh, well, he's not playing Pummeler, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, he was like... Um, he wanted to play Auras, but Selesnya Auras. He's been playing that on Moto a decent amount. Um, but he didn't order his shit in time. So now he's like, okay, I need to borrow something. And I was like, I can sleeve up blue-white. Uh, control's kind of, you know, straightforward. I was like, yeah, we'll try that. And then, we, so yesterday we're playtesting. He's on blue control. I'm on Rakdos Sack. And we played two matches. I 2-0 both matches uh, on Rakdos Sack, which it did two things. One, 
it uh it made him not want to play control even though he acknowledged that it's literally just that one matchup um and b made me feel a lot better about the potential control matchup (laughs) moving forward because I because I'm I'm on two main deck ob bringing in a third, then I bring in four thoughtsies, take out like fa- uh, fatal push and like a couple of claim the firstborns, but still keeping two in because they have tokens and shit to grab. Yeah, yeah. Um, but dude, it it felt so good. I'm like, wow. I thought this would be a a, a tougher matchup, but in like <laughs> in literally a week, it will be a tougher matchup because they fucking yeah. get stupid we card. Get- we get to talk about that. So I suppose we'll get started on our top 10 because you have an RCQ to get to. So we have about an hour and a half, a bit more to record, which is not our yes. style. So, uh, well, we can do good it. thing is we, we've uh, looked at each other's lists, so some overlap. So we could skip my number 10 because you will. we will talk about that later and get to your number 10, which is? All right, my number 10 is Balmore. Uh, let me, I pulled the card. There's so many cards. There it is. Mythic spoiler changed their order on me and it fucked me up. Balmore, Battle Mage Captain, four, two mana, a blue and a red legendary creature, bird wizard with flying and a one three. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, creatures you control get plus one, plus oh, and gain trample until end of turn. So we memed a little bit about this card uh, last uh, last week uh, talking about it. Uh, we, we both acknowledge that it's powerful. But the issue, or the thing we were memeing about is, like, the bird synergies. Can we make the bird synergies work? But putting that aside, it is a wizard that's a relevant archetype. So if you want to go into a wizard type of thing, you have that flexibility to do so. But you are not tied to the actual typings of the card. The bird wizard could just be flavor text for all you care. And you could just go straight into an is it prowess, spell slingy, like, eight cantrip like opt consider ledger shredder sprite dragon um soul scar mage uh, monster swiss spear uh all that good stuff and this deck can probably put up an insane clock with this card i don't know if you play four it's that weird thing with legendaries that are low cmc right do yeah. you play four because it's gonna die a lot because this is a must kill Right, you you pop off two two cantrips in a turn, and you pump the board plus two plus zero. Yeah, just doing that and giving them trample uh, is pretty impressive. Even though a lot of the stuff I recommend playing in an is it prowess style deck is going to be flyers anyway. But hey, if you're going against spirits, no, I, fuck this, them. No, play this with uh, Young Pyromancer. Oh, that's a good one too. Uh, oh yeah, and you can do of one mind. Um, humans and non-humans and stuff. Soul Scar yeah, Mage is, is another this thing. This is a non-human, but then your Soul Scar Mage is a human. So like, there's. Uh, oh, and this can play Reckless Rage. Uh, if oh, you yeah. play like Ledger Shredder, um, this this it can hit itself. Um, if you play your one-drop prowess stuff, like your one-twos, then you can hit those as well. So yeah, this really just slots into that. Is it prowess deck we've seen, like of doing the of one mind thing, um, but just. Ooh, and it just makes your clock so much faster. I th- I think this can this can slot in in the type of situations where um we we've talked about this quite a bit always with auras. Where like mm. auras is good 
when the meta is a lot about just getting your opponent dead as quick as possible. Um, just like, don't interact, just cast my spells, kill you. And yeah. that's where I think it's good, because I think it's going to be a bit hard to find the slots in a meta that's a little fairer, where, you know, I'm thinking, like, you know, Sprite Dragon, Ledger Shredder, Pyromancer. It's like, this is this is getting to, to a lot of two-drops for my prowess deck. But I can I can see, like, a... Like a world where, I mean, Sprite Dragon is also fast, but this is faster than Sprite Dragon. I mean, I would play them both. Um, yeah, but you you have too many two drops at one point. You you have too many creatures in your prowess. I would, at I, one point. True, I would. Um, it, it's it's tough. It's between Legislator and this, but there's a very good. Uh, I mean, there's a genuine idea to just not worrying about Legislator because that's true. the one that's kind of a little awkward in the deck. If you're not doing the whole, you might play some crews at the top end, but you're really focused on the of one mind thing, um, which is going to be the more consistent draw spell. So maybe you can, you could run like a couple, but I would, I would think four ledger. I'm not. Well, I'm sorry. Four of um, the uh, what's it called? The young pyromancer, uh, yeah. four sprite dragon, and like two or three of these, and then a bunch of one drops and cantrips. And draw spells. Yeah. And Wizards Lightning. If you don't uh, have enough wizards. Well, you don't have that many wizards, actually, if you just yeah, have this and Soul Scroll. Yeah, I would, I would just do Reckless Rage instead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, clear blockers, all that good stuff. So yeah, I think this is this card has a really high ceiling potential. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if like we get a nice list that's super fucking clean, runs four of these, and it's like, all right, go. And then you just get ran over. Fair enough. And you said you don't have a number 10 technically because we're going to talk about it later. So let's flip the script. Go to you for your number nine. Cool. My number nine is, uh, I will say when we get to like the higher numbers, I have a bit more confidence in these cards. I have some sort of like quote unquote filler at the bottom. Uh, But I eventually landed on Defiler of Vigor um, at number nine. Now my, my, I'll start with my issues with Defile Vigor. Uh, defiler of figure and that's that i don't really see a great home for the card um it's you're thinking it could be like stompy but in stompy like like my opinion on monogreen stompy is that if you're playing a monogreen nickthos deck you should probably just play devotion um if you're playing something like fight rigging that already has a lot of powerful cards that work in the deck like like foreign clex um and those type of effects. But this is a little one mana cheaper than Foreign Clex, um, which can be big because it makes it more castable. And this plus one fight rigging trigger is just seven. So I can see this card being played on fight rigging. But the reason I did want to put it on anyway is because this card is so obscenely large. Mm. Like... Other than, like, Gigantosaur, which doesn't have evasion and is way too hard to cast with five green, um, this is one of the, like, biggest creatures we've ever seen, I think, if we take the uh, second ability into account. Where, uh, I'll read it out, actually. Um, But I think a lot of people have seen it. So, Defiler of Vigor, five mana for a 6-6 Trample. Um, Phyrexian Worm, you know, um, what is our big big 6-6 Trample Dino? Colossal Dreadmaw in Shambles. 
Um, oh. As an oh. as an additional cost to cast green permanent spells, you may pay two life. This spell costs this those spells cost green less to cast. If you paid life this way, this effect reduces only the amount of green mana you pay. So one of your gre- your green spells, one of their green mana pips is replaced by a Phyrexian mana pip. And then whenever you cast a green permanent spell, put a one one counter on each creature you control, which just goes out of hand like so quickly. Even on the turn that you play this. If you're flooding a little bit on dorks, which is a problem that Stompy-style decks can have, where they need the dorks for the speed, but then they don't want to draw the dorks, you could just play this card, and then Phyrexian mana, Lenoir Elf, Phyrexian mana, Lenoir Elf, and just pump your whole board by plus two, plus two. And, like, that is just so, so many, so much power and toughness on one card that mm-hmm. I kind of feel like it'll be played at one point, and if not... If you are playing Stompy, you know, it's like, why don't you play Devotion? Well, I don't want to drop a couple hundred bucks on a deck. Totally fair. This is a rare. It's probably going to be a couple bucks. This makes for an amazing card in a green Stompy deck that would be played a bit more on a budget. Yeah. Um, I I think the the, the ceiling and the the potential of this card is obviously going to be high because, I mean, yeah, it's... The idea of making use of your bad top deck dorks to pump the team, um, go a bit like uh, go a bit taller, uh, especially when you start playing cards like uh, if you're playing a Stompy version and this is like the top end of your Stompy deck, you're looking at cards like Steel Leaf Champion typically, uh, Old Growth Troll, and Questing Beast as uh, as options. All of them have something to do with fucking over small creatures whether it's trample through old growth, old growth troll to not caring about you know a sack deck for example blocking you with a cat or the other two i mentioned being so that cat just can't block it anyway uh and then be able to pump those and make those go a bit taller um in the late game to really make for those last little pushes uh can can kind of it, it feels like that kind of idea of like playing aspect of hydra uh except you get a body out of it um, so I, I can see where this can be successful. I'm just worried about, and I'll, I'll talk about the entire Defiler cycle later, um, about that whole, uh, gotta see the forest for the trees kind of thing. Where like on paper, all of these are incredibly powerful effects, uh, giving Phyrexian mana to like reduce costs on things and then doing something when you cast a, a permanent um of the respective colors is just i have a feeling they're all gonna line up along your curve a bit more awkwardly than you would like to envision them to and that's gonna make their playability seem a bit more suspect yeah i i could see that that's also my problem with this defiler uh being a five drop Zoom robots. Ah, as we had a Discord pop and Brad disappeared for a second. Um, now, I think we have a, a my number 10 situation on your number 9, which is a card we will be talking about later. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe good to just go to my number 8 since it's part of the same cycle. Sure. Let's keep going that way. So my number 8, in my opinion, the best defiler is Defiler of Instinct. So the Fighter of Instinct is two red red for a 4-4 Phyrexian Kavu with first strike. 
And again, that your red permanents have a Phyrexian mana pip instead of a red mana pip now. And whenever you cast a red permanent spell, it deals one damage to any target. What I think makes this card um, very good is kind of twofold. First of all, the synergy with Torbrand is just ridiculous. If you have this and Torbrand in play, any red card you cast, any red permanent you cast, just has a lightning bolt attached to it. Like, if you... I can see a, a world where you play this on four, and on turn five, you play a three-mana Torbrand and a bunch of red permanents, and the game is just over because of the synergy between Torbrand and this card. Um, but the second part, and which I think is why I like it the most, well, it's it's kind of double. Uh, first of all, its CMC is lower, so it's easier to fit in the deck. Uh, this one is four mana. Large part of the cycle is five mana. I think it's just this and the black one are four mana. And um, we already know of a deck this can be played in. Because the um, mono-red, like, Embercleave-style aggro decks that is basically already a deck with just all permanents, uh, with a bunch of hasty one-drops and your carry zevs and those type of cards, um, all being part of, like, one big aggro deck, and then potentially having a one-mana Embercleave if you want to, mm -hmm. um, means that there's already a home that this deck can go into. It might not be a four-off in that home because the curve is high, then you might have to, like, shave a card or two. Maybe you even have to shave a Torbran, even though the synergy is so good, uh, in order to make room for this card. Um, so maybe it's just, like, a two-off. But that home is already, like, proven to be a good deck. And what I also like with this is that the red pips, like, being able to play this and then play, like, the last one or two cards out of your hand for free means you have all your mana available to use your lands, and red has the best lands. It's mm -hmm. got the best desert in Ramunab Ruins, it's got the best man land in Den of the Bugbear, and although it doesn't have the best castle in Castle Ambreth, in a lots of permanents go wide deck, having your mana available for Castle Ambreth is, might actually just straight up add like 50% more power to your deck because you're running a bunch of two power low curve creatures. So that's why I think this this is the best one of the cycle, personally. So I would agree with you that I think it's the best one of the cycle. I think it's the best one of the cycle not for its ability to go into a potential go-wide curve topper or just like a curve filler uh, for, um, for Mono Red. Well, I do think that can be good. Uh, my worries there is that it's uh, competing a lot with other four drops. Um Obviously, there's uh, Shadow Torch Defiance, which isn't as good in that type of deck that you're describing, so that's fine. There is the new Jaya, which is interesting to try in a go-wide deck. I don't think that one's particularly that great, but it's worth noting at the very least. But the big one is that Torbrand is a big 4-drop that I would much rather be playing over this. Because, again, the floor is higher than this card and i actually kind of think the ceiling is higher on torbran on uh on just playing your stuff throwing up on the board and just swinging out uh just for the the damage that you present um i do like the idea of potentially making use of your your lands a la like a fire zone invention type of style uh because you're reducing the cost and everything else uh but i will say i think this deck is i'm sorry i think this card is far better 
in the idea of being a combo finisher. But then as I thought about that more, because we talked about this uh, the other day, I'm also becoming a bit more lukewarm on that idea as well. Because is it the, uh, until someone shows me a combo that, that you can, you can win that just by casting this card and that same turn, you have a way to just win instead of needing to wait. Um, is this better than a, a, a curve out of like Burgi and like going into like uh, Grinning Ignis or like doing the monument shenanigans and all that stuff? Is this better than that? Does this fit well in that deck? Um, and I would argue this needs to find its own combo uh, to be better or more consistent than that because it feels like the other just the flat out burgy into grinning ignis and whatever that deck is now like with that elemental backup plan and stuff like risen reef and all that um i think that idea is just better and it feels like you're trying to have too many moving moving parts if you try to include this with the burgy grinning ignis thing so i'd have to see overall if you can't tell i'm i am am uh... low on these. Yeah. I can see even because what I always felt weird about that Burgi deck is that the elemental backup plan seems fucking horrendous to me. Like it's just the the Stormkin Awakener, Risen Reef, mm-hmm. like nonsense. Like that backup plan just feels really bad to me. So it does I can mid. imagine that this card does make it into that deck. Um as a way to be an actual backup plan. Because this is just a 4-mana mm-hmm. 4-4. And it already has some of the things like the Steamkin and Bergy that kind of want to go with this. And a 4-mana 4-4 yeah. first strike is also just a good blocker in games where you're playing a bit yeah, more on the back foot. So I can see something spawn there. I can also imagine um, that this card makes a bit of a return when big red decks go a bit bigger. Um, like when we saw like the Glorybringer style decks, I can imagine this being like a happy medium between a more aggressive red and that like larger red curving into Glorybringer. Mm. So I th- I, th- I think there's play, but I I do agree overall. Like it is my number eight, but like after this, I have a bit more confidence in the cards. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. I just yeah, the whole the fire cycle again. I'll talk about later, but um. It just, it, the more I look at those cards, the more they feel like traps. Like, look how much value you can get. But then wow, when you play with them, the is. yeah, you don't get the value you envision uh, more often than not. Like, the juice isn't worth the squeeze, all that good stuff. Yeah, I, I think how I evaluate them, and other people should too, is that I don't read into the Phyrexian mana too much. Like, I tend to think of them like, right, I play this card and I get to net, like, two Phyrexian mana. Right, what I said with, like, the green one, it's like, I play it on that turn, and then on that turn, I cast two Llanowar Elves, and the turn after, I just, like, expect myself to spend mana as normal again. Yes. Um, that's, I think, is a bit of a fairer way to think of them. Because, yeah, I I do agree that a lot of people are like, oh my god, Phyrexian mana must be broken. I'm like, uh there's actually a lot of bad cards with Phyrexian mana on them. It's just you remember the good ones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, real quick, before I say my number eight, just want to remind everyone that we are not including the Painlands in our lists. Oh, uh, yes. As per always, 
Lands are typically the most impactful thing out of a set, especially when they're reprints of a fucking land that we needed so bad uh, in a format. Uh, so when it comes down to it, Dominion United, and, and whenever we get the rest of the cycle in the Brothers War, the Pain Lands will likely be the most impactful cards yeah. out of both these sets, like, bar none. Maybe just real quick, I, I thought about this. If we put them on the list, would they have been your number one? Because for yes. me, they would have. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah. like, what deck do you make better with lands? All of them. So, like, the, the impact is always ridiculous. Yeah, I don't think there's ever a situation in which I would say my land cycle that are that is a good land cycle. I mean, it, it's yeah. it's not like straight. Like if the show lands the are on, like, pff, like yeah, the snarls are like they're like number thirty five on the yeah, list. Yeah, get get that get that shit fucking out of here. We 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 have those bad lands before. No, um, but yeah, triumphs, pathways, pain lands, fast lands. Uh, if they reprint shocks, always very impactful. Um, yeah, even if it's just reprinting shocks for bringing down the value of yeah, shock that, lands. Yeah, that is just budget-wise, like, still. Yeah. They're number one, shocks. baby! <laughs> yeah, put them in every set. <laughs> All right, my number Probably. eight is one of the lords of our uh, wonderful ward cycle, uh, Runevelt Horde Master. It is a 1-1 one, one goblin warrior. Other goblins you control get plus one, plus one. Uh, oh, and it's also two mana, like they all are. So one in a red. Whenever Runevelt Horde Master or another goblin you control dies, exile the top card of your library. If it is a goblin creature card, you may cast that card until the end of your next turn. So I'm a big fan of this card. Um, I think goblins is one of those things that like really has potential to actually like be a decent aggro deck. You already have the nice synergies. You have uh, the Battle Cry uh, Goblin from AFR that has a uh, uh, pack tactics on it. Um, which is already yeah, a pretty the, nice one. The hobgoblin, the bandito, the one that was spoiled in yes. Spanish, which is the best yes. name. Yes, the the hobgoblin. I actually literally was going through my cards, and I had a copy of one in, in my bulk, and I was like, I forgot about this one. And for those of you who don't remember, it is a lord, a three mana lord, but it has um, it, it's either a two two or a three three, but it gives all other goblins plus one plus one. It's a two uh, three, I believe. Two three. Uh, but it does have, you can pay a red, and then it deals damage to, I think, just your opponent, uh, equal to the number of goblins that entered. Target. Is it it's really any target? Hard. That makes it way better, if it's any target. But anyway, it you pay one, it deals damage of some kind, somewhere, equal to the number of goblins that enter the battlefield this turn. As Alex is looking it up. Any is target. Any target. That's insane. Um... So that card incidentally gets a huge buff because of this card and not just goblins in general, because of course giving your goblins plus one plus one as early as turn two with a lot of aggressive, you know, one and two drops in this, in that type of deck to really just kind of curve out and just beat face. But in that idea of board light protection, if you like get swept and you exile like four cards, and you have like Bandito, um, and then like some like uh, some one drops and shit. And it's typically later in the game, so you probably have five or six mana available. Even in goblins, I know they you do they even have a tendency because you're running through your deck so fucking much, you're gonna hit your lands. It's just the way that some aggro decks work. Um, 
yeah, just being able to have that way to kind of help close the door or just not even worrying about that, just recouping your resources um, and just kind of being able to continue. Uh, I think this one certainly has ways to play around uh, and is going to be a very good card for the deck. We still, more likely than not, are a goblin or two away from the deck being truly competitive when you're looking at it like uh, mono red and things like that. Or even if they went into Rakdos, because we do typically get some really cool Rakdos uh, goblins. However, for budgetary reasons, this deck is a great choice moving forward. And you will still have many games where you just fairly run your opponent over. And it, this is just, I think it's going to be a great card. It's great for the deck, and it has built-in board by protection, and it's a lord. It's it's literally everything you want. Yeah, my, my only problem with this card, and it is the problem that I've had with goblins and Pioneer in general, is that the deck feels just not f quite fast enough to race like the more combo-y decks. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is that most tribes in um, that we have, I mean, we'll talk about it. You know, we had support for Merfolk. We had support for Elves. Where I feel like, especially now with Circle of Dreams Druid from AFR, and if we ever get our Druid, Elves can really aggressively mulligan to ridiculously fast hands. And it can raise combo decks. Where, like, Elves is not, um, it's not super likely, but Elves can have turn four kills. Uh, Shaman of the Pack. Um, Merfolk, with the new Lord, and the fact that they are blue, they have, I'm not quite fast enough, but I have some disruption. Mm -hmm. Goblins tends to be, I'm not quite fast enough, but I can grind better. But yeah. generally, that like, but I can grind better, is not like what you what you want out of your aggro deck, out of your more aggressive deck. Because if you're not killing them, they're probably still running you, or they're still going over the top of you, like a Nymph Delight or a Control deck or an etc. And this card leans more into that, like, I can grind you out. But just the fact that it is the 8th Lord might, might just be good enough. And it's one in a red. Some of these goblins could have definitely been red-red. Uh, we do have Goblin War Chief, which makes all your lords, uh, all your goblins cheaper. So yep. a turn three War Chief could lead into a turn four uh, Hobgoblin Bandit Lord, Horde this Horde Master, and some two drop Goblin. It could even be that two drop Goblin that then makes another Goblin, like the Goblin Instigator, mm -hmm. and that's still a really ridiculous board and could yeah. be fast enough. But that's reliant on a War Chief. Which makes me a little hesitant. I mean, the deck already kind of was. Yeah, like <clears throat> exactly. So, like, it doesn't really solve that problem. It's just if you have War Chief, your draws are a little nuttier now, which is still good, right? It can be good for a deck to play to its strengths more. Mm. So we'll have to see. It is a good card, uh, but it is. I am higher on some of the other ones, but we'll get to that. Yep. Uh, and then we're going to number seven. Yes. Uh, my number seven is uh, control bias here, is Urtai's Scorn. So Urtai's Scorn is one blue-blue for an instant. 
This spell costs one blue mana less to cast if an opponent casts two or more spells this turn. Counter target spell. So at this point, this is competing with um, Sinister Sabotage, Absorb, and to a lesser extent Counterflux, which I think are the better cards right now. But cheating on mana is always powerful. And if your opponent has cast any spell before in the turn, this card is better than original Counterspell. And especially as the format evolves, you know, as a format evolves, curves always go down. And there could be a point, like in Modern, we've already had it for a while, that like cancel with upside is just not playable because it's too slow. And I can imagine Pioneer goes to a point eventually where a cancel with upside is too slow. And then we're going to look, all right, cancel with upside is too slow. But we don't have two mana generic counter spells other than like Silumgar Scorn, but that requires you to play dragons. Well, that is an example too. Then people will be looking at, hey, can I build around Silumgar Scorn then and have some dragons in my deck? And I think that's the point. If not now already, I am going to test with it, that Urtai Scorn will come into the uh, conversation more as being a generic counter spell for two mana. Because second spell, again, that's a really low, that's really easy to activate. Like, there's even, people will, like, you know, scout your hand out by being like, oh, cool, well, Thought sees you. And you're like, all right, do you now want to take the two mana generic counterspell you've given me? Or are you just going to um, concede the fact that you can now no longer cast another spell this turn? Like, imagine I'm having to go for, like, a tapped land, and then I only have two mana available, and then my opponent thinks, like, oh, I'll scout for, like, a sensor before I play this card. Cool, I'll Thought sees you. Oh, shit, I've enabled your score now. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's where the card's gonna gonna shine. I'm like, I have to see, but this is a powerful effect. Yeah, it's uh, you were weren't you testing a card that's pretty similar to this a while back? Yeah. Um, oh yeah, you're right. Overwhelming denial. Yeah. That was that was a two mana spell. If you had cast the spell before yes. this turn, yeah. So this is uh, just the opposite end of that. But yeah, I think based on the meta, I mean, there's a... And it's just spells. It's not non-creature spells. Of, no. Or like, they have to cast more than one. So like, there's a lot of decks that just incidentally play more than one spell a turn. Especially when you get to like, like let's say like Rakdos midrange, where there's a lot of three drops and you go to turn four and you do like a Thought Seize and then like, you know, uh, try to clear the way of... Uh, a um your three drop bone creature giant graveyard trespasser now Liliana the Veil, uh, Babel. So, yeah, I think this has this has a chance. Um, I'm always skeptical of uh, cancels with upside because ever since Sinister Sabotage, we have yet to get one that's truly playable. Yeah, I mean, Sinister Sabotage, I think Absorb was printed in the set after, but yeah, since War of the well, Spark block. I'm sorry, Absorb is not a cancel with upside, it's Absorb. <laughs> I mean, it is a cancel. Okay, it also costs you a white, so it's not strictly yeah. Absorb with upside. Sure, sure. Yeah, like it because it, that is its own criteria. It is Absorb, it is a specifically Azorius type of counterspell. 
that is very uh it's an historic spell where everything else True. is like x blue blue counter thing do another thing i would argue that the only one that's actually been semi-playable is seen it coming or saw it coming besides uh, sabotage I think from Ikoria, Neutralize is okay because it can cycle, so it could allow you to play more cancels in your deck if you're, like, oh, without yeah, getting that... run over by aggro as much. That one's fine, too. That one was way better in the cycling version of the control deck, though. True. <laughs> Which is actually a lot of fun. Because a you lot just better need... than countervailing wins. That card was inconsistent. So Yeah. Well, you counter their thing, and it's like, I have a card with cycling in my graveyard now. <laughs> or I can cycle it. I have a card I can with play cycling sarcophagus. in my graveyard. Yeah, I just play my sarcophagus. There is a counter spell in my graveyard now. Nice. Oh yeah, that's right. You could do that. I never, never tried that. It seemed bad. It is. <laughs> All right. Uh, my number seven is Leaf Crowned Visionary. It's another Lord. This time, it's the Elf one. Leaf Crowned Visionary is green, green. I'm honestly surprised that all the Lords aren't double. Of their mana cost, like double pip, like green, green, red, red, blue, blue, etc. Et I just, I just don't get. I think they only did it for elves, where it's green, green. It makes sense though, because look at what elves can do. I you mean, think fair, were... but like, I mean, they. I mean, there's a lot of red, red this. goblins. <laughs> yes, but elves already has an easy time with mana, so they're like, all right, sure. They're they're like, no, you can never put a mutifold in an elf deck. We will make sure of that. <laughs> <laughs> so double green for a 1-1 one, one. other elves you control get plus 1 plus 1 whenever you cast an elf spell you may pay a green if you do draw a card it's a good lord I mean the entire cycle as far as two mana lords go even though the other ones are besides the merfolk being clerics and soldiers aren't that good but that's still a great effect of pumping your team with a two-mana ward. That is always a very valued effect to gain. Um, and it's always nice to see. So that's already great. But whenever you cast an elsewhere, you get to pay one and you draw a card. I mean, elves likes to have a lot of mana. They like to draw cards. They like to get value. And then throw up more elves on the board. And then shaman of the pack to you and kill you. It just does more of what elves continues and has always done. And now we're doing it even better. I don't know if this is a four of. I, I'm skeptical of I that. I think it is. Okay. Like, at least if I'm trying, I'm going to, I've tried to update my elves deck and I will play with this card. I, I'm definitely starting with this as a four of. Yeah, of course. But it might, it might end up like, I, I would be surprised if it's less than a three of. But it may be a three off, but probably yeah. just a four. I remember I did try uh, the one from uh, Nukabena, the, uh, the Gala Greeters. Oh, Gala Greeter. It was fine. It was honestly fine. Um, I think this is better than Gala Greeters. Yeah, though. if you have Gala Greeters in your deck, please remove Gala Greeters from your deck. You should have already done that, but please remove Gala Greeters <laughs> from your deck and put this it card. It wasn't bad. It truly wasn't. I mean, it wasn't uh, bad, but there were better cards to play already, I, and now there I still is just can't this get one. over Tandy fucking dying on the hill, saying that Galagreeters was gonna be insane in Winota, and I'm like, no. At least we don't need to have that discussion anymore. Um, Bring her back. <laughs> no. Um, 
But yeah, I I like this card. I think the only thing that people are... I, I was almost like putting in an overrated, even though I think it is good. But so many people have this notion that like, oh yeah, elves, yeah, that's like the deck that makes a million mana. And it's like, not in Pioneer though. Like, unless you have Circle of Dreams Druid, you are not making a million mana with this deck. Because yeah, you've got a few more elves. Um, like, you've got... Um, uh, the one uh, the one black mana. Uh, I forgot what it's called. But basically, you can have 12 dorks as opposed to 8. But other than Circle of Dreams Druid, it's kind of it. You don't have Arch Druid. You don't have Heritage Druid. You don't have Birdman Rangers. Uh, Wirewood Symbiote. That type of nonsense. Like, you've got uh, Kyrion Ranger. Like, you've got none of that in Pioneer, basically. So you're not actually the deck that makes a million mana. So people think that you like storm off with this on turn four. It's just that's just not true. So I don't think it's that good. But that being said, you have a lord. A lord is a desirable effect. And if you use this to like draw two or three cards, like that's still good. Especially in a deck like Elves that can have these board states where you're kind of just like dirling with a bunch of 1-1s and you're like, I really need to have a Shaman of the pack here. Just digging two, three, four cards deeper for a Shaman. Yeah, cool. And if they don't kill it and you get to like six or seven mana available, then sure, you know, Lanowar Elf draw a card, Lanowar Elf draw a card, Warmaster draw a card, Lanowar Elf draw a card, go. Like, that's mm -hmm. great. So, yeah, decent card. Well, I think it replaces Realm check. Walker. Where like, I tried Realm Walker a bit, and I played with it, it was fine. I think this replaces Realm Walker, just because the immediate impact of being a lord, and being one mana cheaper, is just worth it. And you can sandbag some Lanowar Elves, as opposed to Realm Walker, where the moment you play it, you're just like, let's hope the top of my deck does something. And with this, you can plan ahead and be like, alright, my opponent is, you know... I'm presenting a very powerful board, you know, maybe awaiting a sweeper, and it's just, hey, I'm just going to hold these few Lanowar Elves. And usually, when you play these type of decks, something like holding Lanowar Elves is just, like, useless, right? It's like, if you get board wiped, you've lost the game. So, like, you might as well just go all in, in case they have, like, seven removal spells instead, like, one for one you seven times. So just play everything. But now it can be hold it worth it. It's like, no, I'm actually going to hold these Lanowar Elves, and it's actually going to matter. Would you like the card more if it said whenever an, uh, an elf enters the battlefield, you can pay one draw card? I don't know. I know that would work with things like Collected Company and Elvish Warmaster, but the fact that it's a cast trigger makes it better against control, in a way, because they can definitely, like, you can play this card... And your opponent's just like, all right, I'm going to... Because the moment you play this and it enters the battlefield, Elvish Warmaster would trigger. And they're like, okay, cool, push a new response. Yeah. And now you could fair. have something like, hey, play this Lanowar Elf, pay the green, okay, they kill it, cool, but at least I've cycled. So I, d I don't think it makes a significant difference. Probably better if it was entered the battlefield, but slightly. All right. So moving on to number six... We're going to skip your number six because oh, yes, I, uh... we have mine is the same thing. However, my number six is your number 10. So we can finally talk about your number 10. Cool. Hooray. Off. So I have at number six, Weatherlight completed. A two mana legendary artifact vehicle is a 5-5 with flying. No crew cost. 
rather than paying a crew cost, you have to achieve a little bit of a goal to grow it. As long as Weatherlight completed has four or more uh, Phoresis counters, Phoresis counters on it, it's a Phyrexian creature in addition to other types. Whenever a creature you control dies, put a Phoresis counter on Weatherlight completed, then draw a card. If it has seven or more, if it doesn't, you scry one. So early game in a sack deck, which is ideally where you want this to go, um, then we're going to go ahead and make sure that this grinds through the deck. Like, you could scry. So every time you sack a cat to do oven bullshit, you get to look at the top card, and you're like, I don't want that bottom. Which, that type of filtering in a deck that is so inherently synergistic, like Sacrifice, is far more powerful than you would think at first glance. Yeah, like drawing because a second cat is basically useless. Yeah, exactly. But like drawing your second it to the oven is almost dry, drawing a card. Yeah, and yeah. You, your second oven is is insane. Like that that I I was when I was playing yesterday um against Adrian uh on Rakdos sack, I uh, I played a I played a uh turn 1 oven <clears throat> and then turn 2 I'm sorry, no, I played turn 1 unlucky witness, turn 2 went oven and then I was going to play cat and he absorbed my cat and I was like I understand. That's actually <laughs> probably correct. That's actually um, a good play. Yeah. And then I uh, I sack my unlucky witness. And then I uh, exile top two. It's a land in a witch's oven. And then draw step, draw a witch's oven. So I was like, okay, uh, witch's oven from the exile thing. Witch's oven from hand. And, and then I'm like, another cat. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, I have... And then once I got Mayhem Devil down, um, that's uh, that's nine points clock. of damage. Yeah, just nine points of damage per turn cycle. So, but giving having that exact opportunity with Cat Oven and all your sacrifice energies in allowing you to filter through your deck even more and eventually have it evolve into something that is a genuine threat and a something that's evasive, a flyer, a beat stick, uh, and then can even start drawing you cards... It's also, funnily enough, it is sweeper protection as well. If you have three creatures on board and you're going against control and they sweep the board, as long as it's not farewell, please don't be farewell. Also, <laughs> I guess as long as it's not temporary lockdown, fuck. Um, if it's just Supreme Verdict, then you get to go, all right, scry, 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 scry. Or even if you have already counters, we talked about this uh, yesterday or the day before, you get if you have like four, uh, four counters already, and you go, you lose four creatures. The first three counters go on. You scry, and then the fourth trigger happens, and you get to draw a card, or no, um, two. Actually, the seventh one already gets to draw. Yeah, card. the seventh one draws. So. Yeah, because it puts counter on, and then it says, "Hey, there is a there are seven counters on draw a card." Um, yeah, what I think is cool about this card, and we talked about this in the previous episode, um, is that this feels like Trill of Crumbs to me. But it's Trail of Crumbs that no longer has you go into green. Mm -hmm. And even though I don't think junk food, like junk food is like particularly bad, it's just going into a colorless either gives you more options with your mana, either by literally just making it better, like more consistent, or allowing you to play more utility. Or you could just go into a different color um, with white, has a lot of these like creatures that die, leave a body behind. That's a powerful thing in sacrifice decks potentially. Uh, or you could go into blue and get like so many casualty cards from New Capenna, like uh, like a little chat or um, make disappear to have like some counter magic. So like there's there's a lot of play there, opening you up to more colors. 
my only problem with it was is that I was like, this card is only potentially, I'd say probably, good in sack, and I don't see it being good anywhere else. Like, I think this is, this is, you know, welcome to the next episode of this card would have been good in 2018, but like, in like a fairer creature deck, just be like, yeah, because my opponent's gonna kill my creatures, I'm gonna mm -hmm. trade in combat and get value off it. I don't think that's like the magic we play anymore nowadays. No. So I think this only goes in a deck where you are actively killing your own creatures. It is very good in that deck. Like if you have a priest of forgotten gods in your, like a priest of forgotten gods style deck, this this thing is a creature in like, you play this, and next turn it's attacking. Yeah. In a sacrifice <coughs> deck, and that's really powerful because it is a five five flying, which is nuts. That is a big one. I um, like how it's bigger than the original Weatherlight, which was a four mana four five. That's what happens four when you card. Uh, and this become is, completed. Yeah. Join. Join the dark side. <laughs> also, just fly All itself. will be one. I, I will say, though, real quick, it, 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 I still think it's fine in a vehicle's deck at some number. When you can, like, have the free crew cost or the crew, crew one replacement with a new, like, a uh, four drop or yeah, yeah. armed and armored. Um, yeah, so you're not you're not thinking like a traditional vehicle deck with like the the dwarven artificers and that sort of thing, but you're thinking no, no, no. of like this sort of like locked in, it's like armed and armored, like the um, like you're you're playing the all Plow the bad deck. vehicles basically, yeah. yeah. Like, and you're like, I I don't want to crew this for six, I just want to turn it on. <laughs> so, would be funny. Uh, yeah, your opponent plays a board wipe. In response, you crew half your vehicles just so they die because you've got too many vehicles. Yep. I always love that vehicles can crew vehicles. Like, you're literally, you're just stacking cars. So, we need to, looks like, skip, skip the next cards. two. Because on they're both list. on our list moving forward. Um, oh, so yeah, guess... you have the... So, we're skipping my number five. Uh, my so number six, straight... we skipped that. Uh, we skipped my yep. number five, and we're skipping your number. We just talked your number six, and we're skipping your number five? Yes, and your so number we're... four? Uh, no, because right? your number... Uh... Oh, yours... my oh, you're... Three. oh, okay, fuck. God damn. <laughs> we're going straight to three. No, Brad, four. my four. Your four, okay. What? So... That's so confusing. Here we go. All right, so we've lined you all up and we've confused all of you now. So my number four, before we head into both our top threes, just to say where we are on the list in case anyone's, I don't know, writing it along. Um, if so, love the dedication. Is Vodalian Hexcatcher. Now this is the new Merfolk Lord. It is one and a blue for a 1-1 uh, one, one Merfolk Wizard with Flash. And other merfolk you control get plus one, plus one. And you can sacrifice a merfolk to counter target's non-creature spell unless its controller pays one. I think this is like... Like, the buff it gives to its respective archetype, this is the best lord in the cycle, in my opinion. Um, I don't know if out of goblins, elves, soldiers, clerics, merfolk, merfolk will be the best of the five. I can imagine that still being elves, uh, which I would say at this point is definitely most playable of these um, these tribes. But to like put it, if we grade all these decks out of ten, merfolk makes the biggest jump. 
because of this card. Yep. Because this this card is just nuts. Like for a lord, uh, I think if this was a if we printed a human lord of this power level, we would have said it's the best card in the set because it goes into an established archetype. But because it goes into Merfolk, we have to consider that the context of the card's going to be pretty shitty. <clears throat> but the synergy between this and Deep Root Waters, which is an enchantment from Ixalan that says whenever you cast a Merfolk, you get a 1-1 Hexproof Merfolk token. Yep. This, this, this can just disrupt your opponent so much. Like, even if we're thinking like a mono-green devotion kind of deck, like, sure, you're slowing yourself down because you're sacking Merfolk. But just to, like, snipe, just to counter the first Kiora or counter the first Karn or counter the first Storm the Festival uh, by sacking one or two Merfolk. Because even Devotion, like the first one or two spells it casts aren't cast with like 17 mana left over. Um, this can completely mess up like a Wandering Emperor. Um, it can mess up um, a Bring to Light. Like there's so many like of these cards that could really like turn a game on its head if you're playing as Merfolk, that this card makes it so you're suddenly either not losing or still winning these decks, uh, these uh, games. And the fact that it has flash too means you can so like beautifully <clears throat> utilize that you are in blue uh, between this and Merfolk Trickster and potentially Collected Company and Harbinger of the Tides that can give itself flash. You can have a very legit deck that like kind of in the same way as spirits holds up interaction but if they don't have to interact they are still building a board and increasing their clock yeah just beautifully designed card it almost reads like a custom magic card of someone who just really wants merfolk to be good so like me this card was my number nine on the list uh which to refresh memory uh I had both the other lords in goblins and elves ranked above it. This was nine. The goblin was eight. The elf was seven. I have a really easy way to explain this. Alex, you're you're decent at math, right? Relatively. Reasonably, yes. Okay. What's zero times zero? Zero. Okay. When you have a deck as bad as Merfolk is now... Zero times zero is still zero. The deck's still bad. Doesn't matter how good this card Honestly, is. Honestly, I brewed up a Merfolk list. I looked at it. You looked. At, I looked at that deck. I sent mm -hmm. it to you. And I was like, this honestly looks pretty decent. It looks fine. And it like, it fine. comes from a deck when you look at it, you're like, what the fuck is this garbage? And now you look at it, and just the power this card gives and the synergy it enables with some cards like Deep Root Waters, you're like, now I'm like, hmm, playable. Take it to yes. an FNM, you know, have fun. But, but here's the difference. Elves and goblins were already playable. And yeah. now they're just a bit better than playable. This is a great card. This is, the, I will argue and agree with you that this is the best lord of the cycle. I'm not arguing that. But what it does for the deck even though it raises the power level of its own deck, when the rest of your cards are effectively Ixalan block constructed, it's not yeah. great. It doesn't look good. 
and you can throw cocoa on and be like, it, it's a cocoa deck. It, it makes it better. It, that's the biggest band-aid there is of a bad creature deck. True. I, I can even imagine that this ends up not being a Coco deck. Because when I brewed it, there were a ton of two drops in and a lot yeah. of pips with blue devotion. So I was like, maybe mm -hmm. your four drop mm -hmm. should be a Master of Waves. You could go with the mono, mono blue route and not do green. Because the only reason you would play green really is for the one drop that says if you have an Islander Merfolk, it's a plus one plus O oh, because of two one. Or is it plus one? It's the two two. Uh, it's and a two, then two for if the, you have another Merfolk. Yeah. And then or an Island. Or forest. Is it island or forest? Yeah, but you, island. But you also have okay. the other lord and potentially Kumena. So yes. That's probably like... So, but that's three cards. That's three total cards. It could be possible that this can be a mono blue deck. But then again, Merfolk is now trying to do the thing that Spirits does better currently. Um, with this disruption game plan. Yeah. And Spirits has arguably the better lords and the better support uh, for protection and stuff like that. Merfolk mm, has a, a Rattle Chains, but it's three mana. Imperial Eagle is a pretty shit lord, let's be honest. Yeah, but it usually doesn't play that unless you're in Bant. And the only reason you're playing the Imperial Eagle in Bant is yeah, because you, you can Coco. hit it off Coco anyway. Yeah. So you're like, it doesn't matter that it's three mana because I'm never yeah. paying mana for it. Yeah, exactly. And, and when you can hit... Imperial Eagle and, and uh, Supreme Phantom on your opponent's end step when you're like, hey, if I hit two lords, game over. And you're like, look at that, I hit two lords. <laughs> so that, that's yeah, why I, they play it. But yeah, Mono, I, I Mono Blue that. is the, the better version of, of Spirits right now. Anyway. And this is just doing a poor imitation of that. Again, best war of the cycle goes to the Merfolk. It is and the epitome of a will wait and see yeah, because with Ixalom, Ixalom this brings. could, like... If Ixalom brings some good Merfolk, I think, in part because of this card, Merfolk will be a good deck. Yeah. If we get some... But that's... Yeah, she said, just all depends. If they just give us, like, hot garbage Merfolk, then, like, obviously, you know, no shot. But, yep. yeah, I, th I think also just, like, our placements is just, like, how we evaluate it. Yeah, you know, I just like, look at how much plus does it add to the score of the deck, and you look at what is the total score of the deck after we've added the card. Exactly. So, yep. Yeah. That's that's my idea, <clears throat> which is pretty much the way I look at my entire list. So we'll go, and we'll get into that in a sec. Uh, I guess I will because you're number five and number four. Okay, cool. So let's do this. I'm going to say my number four, my number four, because it is your number three. Yeah. Let's perfect. go like that. There we go. My number four, Alex's number three, is Combat Research. The one mana curiosity effect, where it gives a, uh, gives a creature the whole thing that they deal combat damage, that you draw a card, and then it has, if it's a legendary creature, it gets plus one, plus one, and ward one. Yeah, sick flavor text. So, I mean... If you just have a random legendary in your deck, that's kind of cool. But unfortunately, we're playing Mono Blue Spirits with this deck, and they don't fucking have a legendary creature to be seen. No, <laughs> maybe we get like a one mana evasive legendary one day, and that you play that as a one off in the deck, and you get you get to trigger Got the flavor em. text on Gombat Research. But other yeah. than that, hmm. <laughs> but that's not why we're playing it. We're playing it because we already play Curious uh, Curious Obsession. In Mono Blue Spirits, it is one of the best curves there is in the deck. I would actually argue it is the best curve in the deck of going evasive one drop, <clears throat> turn two, 
go ahead and hit him with the Curse of Possession and then hold up Geisite Snare for one mana. That is insane for the deck. Very good. Now you're giving them more of this effect. Um, I don't think it's going to be a, a whole thing of like the route of Is a Phoenix where you go four off, four consider. I personally think this is going to end up being six total. So you go four uh, Cures of Session and then two of these. And then you go, the rest is your spirits and some counter magic. Um, that's where I'm at, but that still is such a huge boost for yeah. the deck because you have the flexibility of deciding what that number ends up being. Regardless of what the number ends up being, you're playing more copies of five through eight of Cures of Session, which is one of the best cards in the deck. Insane. Yeah. I think also, like, if we look at Mono Blue, like, Mono Blue Tempo is basically Mono Blue Spirit. And I think it is Spirit in part because it needs the backup. Because yeah, you only have energy. four Curious Obsession. So going for the just Mono Blue Tempo um, is not possible because you're too reliant on drawing a card that's only a four of. Maybe mm -hmm. it is just now straight up, this is also a four of. And you do go into mono blue tempo, and suddenly you're opened up to playing cards like Slitherblade or uh, Siren Storm Tamer, and like these different cards that you go more to like what the deck was like in standard. I don't know if you do, but the option is there now. Yeah, yeah. that's why I had it on three, you had it on four, right? Like these kind of number switches don't really matter. Um, it's just mono blue is already a deck, it is a good deck, it is a proven deck, and this is only upside for an already good deck. So, yeah, has to be placed high, as we both did. Yeah. Uh, what is your... Okay, so then... Yeah, so to, go to three, your number three now. Which is your number six. I have Temporary Lockdown, <clears throat> which is three mana, one uh, double white for a effect that just reads basically portable hole everything. Anything with converted mana costs two or less is exiled as long as uh, this is on the battlefield. Um, it kind of gives me a idea of that historic card that uh, that they got from the uh, alchemy bullshit, where it's it's not yeah, as good the, as that. the the fuck you blast. Like I don't know what it's called. <laughs> yeah, it, that one that one's three mana uh, exile all creatures. Uh, is it isn't it three or less? I think it's creatures and artifacts three or less. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but and Brad, then they by only spending a measly two. two more, you can yeah, and that's perpetual, so it even stacks. So if they play it and you sweep it again, I found out the hard way. My like, fucking one drop. I'd pay five mana for mana. a one drop, and I was like, yeah. oh yeah, five, yeah. <laughs> it was horrible. I'm like, do I want to play this? The pioneer version, Brad, is safer, but very good. I was just talking about how I discovered yesterday that my um, my matchup against control on Rakdos Sack is pretty good. Uh, not anymore. Not anymore. If they run this. They do. I like don't think it's in, even a question. I think, like, my alternate name, like, I think how I'm gonna, like, the headcanon for me is that this name is just called Wow Fuck Rectal Sack. Like, that's yeah. basically what this card is. It's, yeah, it's just, like, designed to screw that deck over. Especially the Anvil variant. But it's not just that good against Rakdos Sack, of course, that is the that is the ceiling. The ceiling is you ruin the life of a player like me. But the floor is that this is just a turn three. I need to stabilize early against, like, Mono Red 
or just like anything that's a, or even like the 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 is it prowess deck something that just runs a lot of one and two drops which there are plenty of those decks available like heroic for example which heroic historically the matchup for my, uh, for for control is really just do you draw your sweeper if you do this matchup is easy if you don't this matchup is not easy that is literally what Heroic comes down to against Control. And now they have a way to bring in a couple of copies of this from the board to just have an even earlier sweeper to help stabilize. And a deck that doesn't really have that much enchantment removal as it stands now. Um, they, Of course, white and red, they have access to getting it, like Rip Apart and stuff like that, for example. But even if they do that, and they spend their mana in their turn to get rid of this, get their stuff back, then you just have Supreme Verdict or Farewell later. You, this helps you stabilize so much at a quicker turn against aggro decks that you really didn't have access to before unless you were playing something like citywide bust which is not very good unless you're going against like mono green like there we don't have really that many like turn three sweepers there's like things like there's like path to peril but in a better deck this is far better than demir and this continues to raise the stock of Blue White as the premier control deck of the format. It's insane. This is an insane card. Yeah, I do. I do think, and I, I heard you mention too. This is a sideboard card for the yes, most part. It is, and especially because it is like generally temporary lockdown and portable hole will not be in the same deck, and that's what makes it a little awkward. Because you get rid of your own portable holes, so you just give your opponent their stuff back, which is obviously not what you want to be doing. But even then, like, if you've... In the sideboard, you might just be like, yeah, I want as many of this effect as possible, and I'll mm -hmm. just acknowledge that if I have drawn all my portable holes, then temporary lockdown is not a good card. But against something like Heroic, if you just want to, like, early game, like, portable hole a creature and they give it protection or something then the portable hole is even just sitting there not doing anything so yeah. then you know who cares just play the temporary lockdown um if you have a temporary lockdown coming because obviously uh this doesn't target so protection doesn't even work like with portable yeah. hole where it would um i could see a world where you play a temporary uh, a portable hole in turn one with no target and then because you've got the temporary lockdown already. So on turn three, you play the temporary lockdown, and then even if they blow it up, you, you a get portable a portable hole, hole yeah. to immediately grab the scariest card again. So, like, this card is pretty nuts. Yeah, and I, I'm not too worried about the whole thing with portable hole, to be honest, because that's just a numbers game at that point. Do you still play four portable hole? Do you side some out? I mean, there's you could easily yeah, just like side two out. Yeah, but if like I'm like super worried about these type of decks, then I would want to play four portable hole, and then it gets awkward that I also would want to play this. But maybe if you don't play portable hole in the main, which a lot of these control decks even don't. Do. Well, I see most of them play think, four in the main. Oh, I thought a lot, the, quite a few of them didn't. Um, mm -mm. But um, because March I'm of Otherworld of Light is so nice. Yeah, to, because you have to two for one yourself, but. Well, yeah, and, you but you can also, like, if you don't, if, if they have something that goes above two and you have a march in hand, you're like, all right, cool, this portable is dead, pitch it and climb the ladder that way with march, so. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, like, the card is good, but the awkwardness between portable hole makes me hesitant to think, like, 
to think something like, oh man, this is like so good that like Ragdoll's Anvil is now like not a deck anymore because everyone's going to destroy it with white. But there's white decks that don't run Portable Hole and do have a bad sack matchup. Yeah. my I mean, my reasoning for this feeling like it's so high on the list is uh, if the worst thing that you can argue against a card is awkward uh, interaction with, with, with another card that's also really good, I'm not worried because all it takes is one grinder to be like, oh, we figure out the numbers. It's easy. and you're, Or or it's just as simple as like, I have four of this in my sideboard. I just side out my four portable holes for the matchups where they have way too much protection, like Heroic, for example. I would argue that this just like very well. Yeah, just you could you can argue with heroic. Like, is is it even worth it to try a portable hole because they probably have protection anyway? Yeah, they got. I can wait like, till fuck. turn three, where I can yep. even just like, like you're still probably threatening something like. Oh, even funnier with like fateful absence because you scoop up the clue if they haven't <laughs> cracked it yet. Yeah, or so, if like, they're playing you just, a treasure like, deck. Yeah, you're like holding up fateful absence and be like, if my opponent goes like two ham. With, like, their Illuminator Virtuoso, I'll kill it. And otherwise, I have this unconditional sweeper that just gets rid of it. Yep. Makes sense. All right. So, now we're going to number two. I guess we'll do my number two first. Probably makes sense. Uh, My number two is your number... Fuck. Five? Five. There it is. Couldn't find it. My number two is Karn's Silex. It is a three mana legendary artifact. So three colorless. Karn's Silex enters the battlefield tapped. Players cannot pay life to cast spells or to activate abilities that are not mana uh, abilities. Then you can pay X, tap it, exile Karn's Silex, destroy each non-land permanent with mana value X or less, activate only as a sorcery. This is a 5 million percent auto-include in any board that plays Karn the Great Creator. Like Mono Green, for example. The first ability uh, of it, players can't pay life for shit, is not that relevant right now. There's not a whole lot that this hose is in Pioneer. I think also, it boarded on, there was some article, I don't know by what website it was, I think they changed it since, they thought that you couldn't cast Thoughtseize with this card in play. That's not true, because the life loss on Thoughtseize isn't a cost. Yeah, uh, That's just it's part the of the ability effect. resolving. Yeah. yeah. So, you, But that's not, it doesn't say as an additional cost pay to life. So the two life loss on Thoughtseize is not a actual cost. That's just a thing that the spell says it does. Yeah. Um. I mean, there. This does stop things like, I guess, like Bola Citadel if you're going against that kind of deck, um, and stuff of that nature. Again, not a whole it, it lot. It stops of stuff. all the Defiler stuff. It does, and if we do get Phyrexia mana when we go to Phyrexia next year, we will. It won't. does stop that. We will. We'll see. But that's okay. It's There's okay a reason that we this get doesn't... 17 versions of throwbacks to the mechanic without actually getting the mechanic. That's true. Isn't it like an eight on the uh, storm scale? I can't. I can't imagine it's lower than an eleven. Like it's I, just I don't think like it's Phyrexian mana is the dumbest shit they've ever done. It's called the storm, storm scale, but it should be called the Phyrexian mana scale. Let's be honest. Mm. 
fair. I mean, you could print like five drops of Phyrexian mana, then it doesn't matter. It's about the cheap cards. But yeah, it's like you can you can easily build like you can fix it. But whatever. So again, this doesn't do that whole, that much for that ability now. But that's okay because this is an ability that will get better over time. This is one of those abilities that as the format gets older, you get a lot more of these type of effects. So that's okay. The other thing is this is has a just a blast zone built into it. And the whole thing of it coming in tapped, not a big deal well, because it's you have less, which yeah, is pretty cool. It's not the exact bullshit. So this is a huge silver bullet for mono green. They have the ability to untap it with like things like QR or Teferi the turn it comes in and just activating it when you're a little bit short and you can't quite do the combo thing yet. Um, you need to just like survive and just kill some aggro stuff or whatever. This is just a card that gets better and better and better and better as the format ages. And as long as Karn is legal, this is an auto-include in those decks. However, if Karn ever gets banned, which is 100% within the realm of possibility, uh, like that, that's, that is one of the cards on a short list if there is one. Yeah. This card is way worse. Yeah, I mean, it's still in that case. It finds itself in like a middle between Ratchet Bomb and Engineered Explosives, which uh, Ratchet Bomb is legal in Pioneer and has seen yep. extreme fringe play. Uh, Engineered Explosives is not legal. By the way, that could be an interesting returning mechanic because we've got Domain that wants you to play a bunch of colors and then we could get Sunburst, which allows wants you to cast a bunch of colors. But anyway... Um, so, like, yeah, I don't know. It finds it there. So, even without Karn, it's probably okay. Um, entering tapped makes it more akin to Ratchet Bomb. Because unless you're sweeping up a bunch of tokens, Ratchet Bomb also has, like, a wind-up time. Um, entering tapped, for mono-green devotion specifically, especially with Teferi, who slows the sunset, not much of a problem. There's, like six or seven cards in that deck generally that can untap things but for other decks i can see that being quite an issue even karn decks but they are like karn sideboard so um you know having this like one-off kind of catch all thing in there is probably gonna happen um my my summary i always have a document for it. my summary was basically karn good discard good with karn card good it says Karn in the name, which you would think yeah. means it's a good card, but we kind of figured out that that's not always the case with the Karn that we got in this fucking set. It depends on how close the Karn is that's holding it, but we can't see him very well. This one's really clothed. Look at him. He's got pants. Oh, wow. And the card is good. Looks Wait, like he's Karn's wearing strength pants. is not... Maybe it's the type of clothes that he wears. Maybe he should take, get rid of the robe. Hmm. Yeah, it looks like he has a lot of pockets going on in this art. I know it's like the ridges of like his metal being <laughs> that I'm looking at, but it makes it look like he's uh, wearing some uh, some some no, cargo. He's got, uh, like the rope, you can see like the circle, like the sort of belt buckle that he always. Yeah, has. It, it is 100% the exact thing he's wearing in the in the Karn art that we have. Wow, clothed Karn playable too confirmed. Oh my god, we did it! He is unstoppable now, clothed or unclothed. Karn is a good card. Except for Legacy, Karn. 
we don't talk about that card. Don't worry, we'll get liberated next year when they finish the Frexian story. He will officially be liberated once again. Yes. All right, so before we go to number one, uh, both are number ones still to be talked about. I suppose we can go over the, um, what are we, overrated, underrated, honorable mention? Correct. All right. Because the reason we're, do, we're not, again, I did number, my number two, but Alex's number two is my number one, and then his number one is not my number five. So that's why so we're tying it our, all in. Yeah. Yes. So I suppose I'll talk about my overrated card. Yep. My overrated card is Ether Channeler. For the whole reason just that like this card is just like aggressively medium. Like it's like fine, right? The the floor is not terrible and the ceiling is pretty good, but like where do you play this? Right, you're gonna run out of slots for three drops in humans at one point. And this car and Reflector Mage is just so good that I think swapping Reflector Mage for this is lunacy. Uh, Reflector mm. Mage is an incredible card. Also, even though it has the same power, Reflector Mage has two more toughness, which is absolutely relevant in a board in a deck, especially a deck that can put one one counters on its creatures. So. You know, at one point, if you put a counter on this, this is a 3-2. Still dies to everything. Reflector Mage is a 3-4. Like, that butt is, like, blocking most creatures that are going to come at it. Um, and obviously, the they can't play close is huge. But this card, it's just, like, always a bad rate. Uh, a 3-mana 2-1 that makes a 1-1 one, one is a bad rate. Uh, a 3-mana 2-1 that bounces a permanent, a non-land permanent, is fine. Right, that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. You know, we have two mana bounce effects. That, I mean, to be honest, we have Void Snare, which is a one mana bounce effect. So we're paying two mana to put a Savannah Lion on Void Snare. So even that's not that great. And a three mana two one to draw a card is, is worse than Elvish Visionary. And then I think of Humans, which is a deck full of good cards. Like, almost every card in Humans is just above rate. Yeah. And then we're throwing in this one. I mean, sure, if you're playing, like, Pyre, probably put one into Tudor, because it's not terrible to... If you end up drawing it, drawing your toolbox card, it's not horrible. Other than that, you don't even want to play this in Wizards. Wizards probably going to be an aggro deck. You don't want this. Yeah, the only thing I can see with this card being that the having that nice role of being like the catch-all thing is because it's returning a non a non-land permanent to its owner's hand and not just a creature. I think the making the one-one bird is not very good. I think drawing a card is good, um, but yeah, it's the body's a little awkward. Um, it's it dies to too much uh, stuff in the format. It's just because like if you even if you're going against like Fatal Push and you're like opponent's black deck, and you're like, cool, I'm going to return your Chandra to your hand or something, or like what, like whatever, it doesn't matter. And they're like, cool, you activated my revolt, and it just dies. And then I or even worse, play it again. E even worse, you activate your revolt, I'm not targeting this with revolt, I'm targeting your Adeline with revolt. Yeah. So like even like, that doesn't like, I don't know, it's just so eh. It's fine. Like, people lost their mind over this. I think it's fine. Again, it's aggressively medium. 
I, th- so I think it's I think much better for modern because of the bounce not only permanent thing, but even I mean, then, then you I get, like violet in, which tends to make that type of thing better because this card yeah. with flash is obviously insane. Um, but that can be said for more cards. But I don't know, it's fine. It's overrated. What's your overrated card? I have overrated cards. Cheater. It's the entire defiler cycle. It's not cheating when they all say the exact same fucking thing on them. <laughs> Yeah, okay, it's not Strixhaven, where you just group where you had a top 25 and I had a top 10. I'm sorry, okay? I'm sorry. I will never forgive you. <laughs> I don't even remember what it was. I do, yeah. Okay, so my overrated is the entire Defiler cycle. The entire Defiler cycle is either four or five mana, all of them having double pips of their respective colors. So two double red, three double blue, um, three double green, three double white, and two double black. And they all have the Phyrexian mana replacement effect as the first thing. And they all do something whenever you cast a permanent of their respective colors. We talked about the green one and the red one being the best ones. The white one makes a 1-1 soldier. The black one gives something plus one plus O and gives it menace until the end of turn. And the uh, the blue one draws a card. These cards, I talked about it earlier, all of them have the exact same issue. They seem like they do so much in terms of value. And again, even if you omit the Phyrexian mana thing, and you just talk strictly about their casting of a permanent effect, they all seem like they do a lot. But by the time you get to four and five mana for a lot of these cards and a lot of the decks they go in, they feel more like, to me, top deck protection for yourself, ensuring that when you draw a bad card, then you make use out of it. The green one, drawing your Lenor Elves late in the game, makes it so you can cast it for free by paying two life, and then you pump your team. The blue one, you draw something late, whatever, you draw a card. Or the white one, you draw something late, whatever, you make a 1-1, you go wider. That one, you're probably playing a bunch of 1-drops anyway because you're that. Same thing with the red one, ping something down. But the floor of them is the same. They're all four or five mana creatures that are... Decently statted, I will admit that. 4-4 First Strike, 4-4 Menace, a 5-5 Flying, a 6-6 Trample, and a... I don't know the white one is. The white one Flying? Vigilance? Okay, whatever. Like, that's all fine. Those are all fine. But none of them do anything when they come down. And in a lot of the decks, how often are you going to have shit left over in your hand by the time you play these on turn 4 and 5? Especially the blue one is one I think is the most egregiously bad one at that. Because the blue one is literally like says draw a card. And that screams to me a a type of deck that wants to play blue draw a card stuff. Like opt, consider, and like just those spells. But that's not a permanent permanent, that even triggers this fucking card in the first place. What permanents are you playing in blue to draw a card? Um, And then like the green one I think is probably the best one. I think it's I think it's better than the red one because the floor is better, but 
they're just going to sit there and do nothing and probably die. Like, at least Elder Gargaroth, for a similar comparison to all of these, not even just the green one, is effectively a vanilla creature that does nothing when it enters. But at the very least, it is a great blocker and can do something if it blocks. So the floor is a tiny bit higher to me on that one. And that one even sees very fringe play. I don't think any of these are justified to see play in older formats beyond standard at any general like or genuine capacity. I just don't think they're good enough. I want them to be. Trust me, I see the fucking numbers and shit flowing in front of my face like I'm Zach Galvanakis <laughs> from Hangover. I see it, okay? I see the great potential of what these cards can do, all of them. But you got to reel yourself back. You know, you know what card I also saw great potential with? Fucking uh, Neheb, the Eternal, from Our Devastation. Or Neheb from War of the Spark, as two examples of five mana do fucking nothing when they come in, but we're going to make this mana valuable in the future. It does that. And I've, as I've grown as a magic player and over the years of doing this fucking podcast and like doing content creation, writing articles and just playing the game, I've been so wary of putting any stock at all in big creatures that promise you something cool for the future, but don't (laughs) deliver in the immediate. Like, all these creatures are just pyramid schemes. Yes. They're just all like, it's an investment now, but it'll pay you off later. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly what they are. And, like, I just can't bring around to commit to saying they're going to do something. I just don't think it's there. I really don't. The only one that could is green because you can kind of, you can play it on turn three. I just want this as a quote, like, the defiler cycle is a pyramid scheme. (laughs) Put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Okay, show if, up to if, a standard effect. A standard if, my, if my prediction ends up being true and they just don't see playing Pioneer or anything beyond that, I will make that a t-shirt. I am promising that right now. What, what's, I've how never long? wanted a card to be bad so badly. How, how long do we wait? What's the time? Do we wait until uh, the first set of next year? Like the, the winter set? Or do we wait, like, the end of this year? Like, how long do we wait until we see that these cards are just not playable? I guess just, like, by the time the next set comes out, you'll see that they're all, like, bulk price. And then you're like, okay, these are on. When does Brothers War come out? Like, October? November? Oh, that might be too soon. Well, think end of the year. I think end of the year is a good one. All right. Hey, Google. Remind me in December about the Defiler cycle. Fuck. We'll do that later. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Underrated. What is yours? All right. This card, I'll be honest. I was making a list. Shut up, I read this card. (laughs) And I just missed this. And I was like, holy shit, this card's actually pretty cool. It's a Vodalian Mind Singer. It is one blue blue, so three mana, for a 2-2 Merfolk Wizard with kicker of one and a red and or one and a green. Hey, Google. Stop. (laughs) 
Brad, Brad is educating his Google. <laughs> she won't shut up. All right, I'll uh, read again. So, uh, kicker one on a red or one on a green. Uh, Vodalian Mindsinger enters the battlefield with two 1-1 counters on it for each time that it was kicked. When it enters the battlefield, gain control of target creature with power less than Vodalian Mindsinger's power as long as you control uh, Vodalian Mindsinger. So, what I like about this is this is an effect we don't get very often. Uh, we had it in AFR on Mind Flayer, which I think is a 5 mana 3 3. Uh, a lot of people will probably think of Sower of Temptation, uh, which is a 4 mana 2 2. Uh, this is a much better rate for the card, but what it can take is mana restricted, uh, which those others weren't. What I like about this is that it is it is a Merfolk. It's a so power it in a, restricted, not mana. A power restricted, yeah. Um, but like. First of all, if you have lords in play, this just enters with more power. Mm -hmm. So if you hit this off a collected company together with a lord, you can grab something with three power. Uh, have another lord in play, four power. So it scales up, and once you're grabbing like a five power creature, which is literally just cast this kicked once with a lord in play, you are grabbing basically everything in the format anyway. So it doesn't mm -hmm. really matter. Um, also, even though it has a, its teamer costed with its double kicker, because kicker is cast, I'm pretty sure if you have unclaimed territory and or secluded courtyard, you can use that for the red mana. So if your plane is in Simic Merfolk, you, you don't have to like put a random steam vents in there to, to kick this if you need to. You can just use the unclaimed territory. Because I think this just adds, kicker just adds to the cost of a card. So you can yeah, just say, I, all right, paying that sure. red with unclaimed territory. Yeah, because it's not an ETB um, Yeah, it's not like, like ETB thing. thing goes on the stack, you have to pay for it. It is just an additional cost when you're playing the card. But it is and even if that was the, the case, you could still use Sakuda Courtyard for that. True. Um, so yeah, so it's pretty easy to kick. If you kick it, like if you troll this later, um, you're playing a Merfolk deck. They tend to be, or, or maybe a wizard deck. It is a wizard. Um, your deck goes pretty wide, but then you randomly you top deck it. You're like, guess I'll pay seven mana for a six six and steal your uh, for a six six and steal your biggest creature. Mm. Like that's just a pretty powerful effect, and I think it's hard I'm gonna to evaluate. I'm going to take your defiler of vigor. I mean, I'm gonna. T I'm just thinking this. You have one lord in play. I cast this for five mana and I take your cavalier of thorns. Yeah, I was thinking that too. That yeah, was like, my first get, thought. And then I and then I attack your planeswalkers and. Oh, by the With way, if you cavalier. try and storm the festival to build it back, I can sack my Merfolk to counter your spell, right? So I, I was really seeing, like, where this could be powerful. I was mainly just, it's underrated because this card was spoiled five days ago and I've heard no one mention it and I just even, like, read over it. So mm. I was like, I didn't even know this card existed. So, and then I read it and I was like, I didn't know it existed, though it's a good card. So that's why I thought it was underrated. Yeah, um, and at I'll the worst, it, it could be this. it could be a solid sideboard card at the worst. Uh, yeah, I for, think like, creature it is matchups. more a sideboard card. I, I could see even like one or two in the main, and maybe finishing your play set in the side because yeah. it reminded me a lot of I think it's called Tidebinder Mage, which is a mm -hmm. two mana two two, and when it enters the battlefield, it taps a green or red creature, and that creature no longer untaps as long as you control Tidebinder Mage. 
And this is exactly the kind of deck and this kind of card that I would want instead. If I'm playing against like Gruel Aggro or some green Stompy style deck, I want this kind of effect. And this feels main deckable as a one or two of, and then you finish your play set on the sideboard. And this matchup that can get really hard because Merfolk tend to be smaller. So they are probably the tribe that is worst at fighting other creature decks is very interested in a two for one like this. Yeah, I, I think this is actually a pretty pretty solid card. And uh, I think main decking a couple of copies is not wrong based on the meta. Uh, there's way more creatures than not. Yeah, and e even against a control deck, if you they top deck is late, just play a seven mana. Yeah, but just play a seven mana six six. Yeah, that's true. Sure, right? Like that's that that against a control deck, people can run on empty and suddenly you play this giant fucking card. Cool. I'm a fan of it. And what's your underrated card, Brad? My underrated is Sarah Paragon, which is a, another card that I have not heard really anyone talk about. Um Sarah Paragon is a four mana, three four flying angel for two and double white. And it says, once during each of your turns, you may play a land from your graveyard or cast a permanent spell with mana cost or mana value, three or less, from your uh, from your graveyard. If you do, it gains when this permanent is uh, put into a graveyard from the battlefield, exile it, and you gain two life. Okay, first things first. That last ability is really interesting because it's not just a blanket, exile it when it dies. It is, it hits the graveyard, trigger goes on the stack, exile it, then you gain the two life. You can do some shenanigans with like things that have flash. And you can technically on your opponent's turn or like end step if you haven't done the thing already, you can cast it from your graveyard before it actually gets exiled. And you can potentially do some loop shit. Kind of niche, but worth noting that that's an ability you can do or a thing you can do. So I found that to be really interesting in the wording. Oh, yeah, because it doesn't say instead. Yeah, so you should it's not a replacement that. effect. I mean, just this would, like, it's in the same set. Oh, this is going to be disgusting in draft. Pair this with resolute reinforcements. And you cast it, get a token, mm -hmm. you block something, it dies, you flash it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that that's already really oh, cool. You can't block because it's in your turn, but whatever. It's still yeah. good. But... Another thing with this card, it's a 3-4 Angel. We've seen Angels be a deck before. Yes, Angels is primarily a collected company deck, and this is a little awkward with a Coco deck. But we have seen Coco decks play 4-mana stuff before. Like, for example, like Monogreen Stompy has played like a couple copies of Questing Beast. This can fill that exact same role of just playing a couple copies of that. And as long as you still have that 26-27 creature count for that are Cocoable hits... I think you're okay. It's okay. Um, but having the ability to play back your big, scary three-drop angels, like the one that's a 2-4, gets plus two, plus two, when you have a certain amount of life, or the N19 Mythic that's like $30 for no good fucking reason, stuff like that is really cool. Also, if... Your opponent destroys your book combo, because a lot of times they do play the book combo in this, which this could also just replace your uh, your Cocos if you're going further into that book combo idea of Angels. You can get that back too. 
Uh, I think or the Mutavolt if they kill that response. Exactly. Or the Mutavolt if they kill the Mutavolt when you're trying to do the book combo. Um, I think this card's really cool. It has just really good value. Um, it's not going to necessarily always be just a turn four play because you still want to be able to, you know, get value out of it when it comes in. But turn five, at the very least, you can get a land back. Or turn five, you can play like your Speaker of the Heavens from your graveyard or something like that. Um, or imagine turn... where I figured this card could see play, because I, I think this card, I agree, this card's awesome. It is very powerful, but it is a bit slow. I can see this being a card in mono-white humans. Yeah. Because that's not a collected company deck, so it doesn't have to worry nope. about that part. And that deck could run something like Dauntless Bodyguard. And then, kind of similar to what you did with Luris, is you play this on five, you immediately cast a Dauntless Bodyguard and protect it. And the cool thing with Mono White Humans is you don't have to worry about the, uh, the the actual clause of when it goes in the graveyard and you exile it, because you're probably playing Charming Prince. Because you can actually just exile it and bounce and it and blink get it. rid of that effect. Yeah. Yeah, and three or less, this can grab Extraction Specialist. And then do the Charming Prince bullshit. And then grab something yeah. else. So, like, this could basically... This is like a reverse... This is like an unbirthing pod, right? Where it just grabs stuff out of your graveyard, but it, it keeps getting smaller instead of larger. Exactly. Like, I think this card's really cool. Um, cards like this are pushing me more and more into... Brad, I think I'm starting to hate Collected Company as a card. Like because it's, this it's like set, that worst restriction kind of thing. This set has so many. This set has quite a few cool four drops. But the moment I read a four drop, I'm just like, yeah, not playable. Yeah, especially when it like, says something like, like this text where it says yeah. mana value three or less. I'm like, I wonder where like, I've heard that before. Yeah, or like super fringe. Maybe I play one, but like this is never like a four off topping my deck because collected company exists. Yes. Even though this card is fucking cool. Like it, it's really cool. The uh, the art is so fucking good. Like I mean, magic. The art in this set is amazing. We haven't talked about it enough in this top ten. Uh, mm. Angel. They can somehow like it seems almost impossible for magic artists to draw angels that aren't badass. So like, I, I and the effect is cool. I like the grindiness. Um, like, I want more of this magic. But I feel like magic is moving further and further beyond cards like this, and that makes me sad. Yeah. I will say, though, Collective Company is 100% in the same boat as Luris was. Meaning, don't put too much stock into a card that restricts you if you think there's a way to build your deck that might be even better. We've seen it with Luris and Humans, we would not have the extraction specialist loop and things like that of value with mono white or Orzov humans or even Kudro or whatever, a reflector mage, like all these great three drops. We wouldn't have that stuff in humans if it was for Luris. Luris being around would probably encourage people to play a lot more just like the one and two drop version of humans and going out with that. And I would argue that the three drop humans with Adeline, reflector mage, Kudro, uh, extraction specialist is better. And it's not even close. I don't think it's even fucking close. Yeah, I, Is I, this I the can, exact I same thing as that. comparing Luris with all those amazing humans? Probably not. But keep it in mind for when you're looking at cards like this and you have that collected company thing dancing around in your mind of like, well, why would I do it when I could do that? 
try it. Try this instead of Coco. Try altering your deck a little bit to lean proxy away this, from Coco. Because it's a mythic, so it's got to be expensive. So proxy this. It's not legendary, so I don't think it's as good in Commander. So maybe it won't be that expensive. If this was a legendary, this is $20. Because this would be an insane commander. So, give it a try. Alright, moving on to our number ones. Um, oh, you didn't have an honorable mention? Because I did, but it's a short one. Because we talked. Oh, about yeah, I, don't have, I didn't have an honorable mention. I just did an overrated underrated. But yeah, what's your honorable, uh, I, honorable mention? I mentioned it uh, during the last recording as like a card that I thought was cool in Battlewing Mystic. Uh, one on the blue for a 2-1 bird wizard with a kicker of a single red. When it enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, discard your hand, then draw two cards. Uh, I just think this is a very clean card. Uh, you could just play this as a 2-mana two 2-1 just to have a wizard. Like, this is definitely like a wizard tribal. Like, oh, I'm, I want more wizard to enable, like, wizard's lightning. Like, I, th I think this card's just clean. It's cool. We have treasure cruise, which might make it a bit awkward. Because you're probably not going to be running on empty as often. But even in a treasure cruise deck, I could see a copy or two of this. And if yeah. the delve spells get banned and you want to play a more is it aggro deck, this is a very good card to put in. Um, it's an uncommon, so I wouldn't say buy it now in case you need it because it's never going to be more than 40 cents. But yeah, cool card, clean that. card. I like this design. Uh, I feel like this is one of these cards that is just like it's gonna feel really nice to play because it's such a clean effect. Or play it, kick, toss the hand away, draw two. There you go. Gonna feel very Pokemon-y where you discard your hand to draw a bunch of cards very often. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I, I could see it having a, a shot at being tried. All right, so number ones, Brad. We doing your number one or my number one first? We'll do my number one first, and then. Everybody can guess yours. Um, sure. Yeah. My fine. number one is Leyline Binding. Which so, was my number five. Leyline Binding, five and a white for an enchantment with flash and domain. This spell costs one less to cast for each basic land type among lands you control. When it enters the battlefield, exile target non-land permanent opponent controls until it leaves the battlefield. Um, yeah, this card could be like a three mana card and it would be good. So they thought, fuck it, we'll make it one mana. <laughs> it's just, yeah. like, what? Like, again, it's restricted because you need to play it in a five. I, I, I could argue you could you could genuinely play it in a three-color deck, like Esper Control, mm -hmm. where I think it would actually be okay. Uh, or, like, Band Control. If you want to build, like, uh, like Band Turbo Fog or something, you could totally yeah. play this card. I could see it. Um, but in a four-color deck, think, like, four-color Omnath, absolutely you just play this and you cast it for two no problem you're playing a five mana deck like enigmatic fires which is where i imagine this card being exceptionally good and you just casually have a one mana removal spell that or a two mana removal spell that you could just cast on turn two too because getting five basic land types or four with triomes basics and shocks is really easy yeah, so and, I had this... Go ahead. Yeah, and then this is, again, this is just talking about it as a removal card, but what especially makes me like think this card is great is that, and, you know, I'm not the first to come up with this. We already talked about it last week, and, you know, Epic will be very excited to, to, to play with this card. In Enigmatic Fires, this is nuts. It, it, you pay it for one mana, but then you second and find a seven drop. 
Like, no climbing the chain over the course of five turns and, sorry, putting medium cards like Doomwake Giant in your deck just so you can climb along by having an enchantment that's also a creature. Nah, fuck it. We go straight to seven. What do you want? Titan of Industry or Agent of Treachery? Like, the curve is just so perfect. Yeah. It's such an incredible power increase for a deck that is already good. Kind of similar to, like, that combat research, but this is just so unbelievably unfair. Um, because you can very easily, all right, turn three, end step, flash this in, take your card. I mean, you can on turn three, even if you don't have all the colors, you just cast Nihilian's Presence on one of your cards, and now it's all land types. Yep. And then on their end step, all right, one mana, flash in a Leyline Binding, uh, take your best card, I guess. Untap, play an enigmatic, uh, play um, enigmatic incarnation. Sack this. You can have your card back. Except Angel of Treachery, I will have it back again. How do you lose those games? Like ever? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I agree with everything you said. Absolutely everything you said. Nylea's presence is an awesome card. With this, it goes perfectly in enigmatic fires. The whole thing of like taking something that's scary at one point and then sacking it to Agnomatic, go get Agent Treachery and just take the thing that was scary is an amazing line that I fucking love with all of my heart. I will explain after we do my number one why this is number five and more specifically why I have my order of five through f- five through one. Cool, we get a little uh, epilogue to, uh, to the top ten. It's a very easy and not very insightful thing but i'll explain it makes more sense when i go in order after we've done it all so my number one and alex's number two is of course the reprint of all reprints for not just pioneer in general but just the value of the card for like modern other formats it's liliana the veil it is a great card we've seen some talks about like is it even the best three drop interactos and i've actually i'm actually on the, on the train of no I still think Fable is the best three-drop in Rakdos. Because Fable is so absurd. It goes so perfectly with your game plan. It filters. It makes a body to help you ramp. It does your bullshit shenanigans with like copying stuff. It, it is such an insane all-star of a card. But that does not take away from what Liliana can do for the, for the, uh, for the deck. Even on the floor of what Liliana is. The floor. This is an amazing cyborg card against Control. For Rakdos, for Mono Black, for anything that is black, for example. If you're in Demir, or if you're in uh, Grixis, like Alex is, for Control, I will 100% argue you should be playing two or three of these in the board, bring it in against Control for the Mirror, and be like, go fuck yourself. I will make do. <laughs> Especially because you're on the Dig Through Time version of Control, Alex. and not, Yeah, so uh, you just ripped that at one point, and then game ends right we're both running on empty we only have five lands because we keep discarding lands oh cool i rip a dig through time i find a counter spell for your next play and find some other win condition yeah this this will be played in the main of ractos there's no way it's not it's too great of control in that yeah it's too good like a two off but yeah and that's all it could be for ractos too but that's okay it's still an incredibly impactful and powerful card for the deck, and for the format in general. The reason it's number one, and the reason I have my five through one as they are, is similarly to how I have my nine, eight, and seven ordered. 
I acknowledged earlier that Voldalian uh, Hexcatcher is the best lord of that cycle. However, it's ranked number nine, where then I have the Goblin at eight and the Elf at seven. And Alex touched on this earlier too, where Alex is evaluating cards based on the number of scale that they bring to the table versus how I'm evaluating of the number scale they add to the deck that they go in is where I rank it, which is why I have Merfolk, Goblin, then Elf. The same reasoning is in actually my six through one. Whether I completed goes perfectly in Rakdos uh, for, for Sack, right? It has a home that you can try it. But out of all the ones in this list of six through one that have homes, because they all do, it is the worst because it's the most easy one to cut. Number five, Leyline Binding, which is Alex's one, is an insane card. Power level alone, I could argue for the, it being number one, and I can uh, completely agree with Alex's placement. But because it goes in Enigmatic Fires, a deck that's not that polarizing of a deck and not that much played of a deck in the format... It does raise that deck stock a lot, but I don't think it raises it more than four through one. Four being combat research, Monobu Spirits, huge bump, huge buff. Raises that deck stock not more than Temporary Lockdown does for control. Temporary Lockdown doesn't raise the stock for control more than Karn Silex for Mono Green. And then Liliana the Veil raises the stock the most for Rakdos mid-range. Um, I would argue raises the stock most for Greasefang. I would argue that too, yes. And that, that also is more justification for it to be number one because it raises the stock of Rakdos mid-range, Greasefang. And Greasefang, uh, and yeah. yeah. And, and, and like 8-Rack if you want to try that. Like, it's yeah, so good. It's, it's just, um, the reason I had Liliana at 2-2 two, two is that she initially was at one. I swapped. I basically swapped Lilia. I always write my reasoning out to, like, fully, almost like I'm writing an article. Um, and just while writing, something in my brain was just like, you should swap these. And I was like, yeah, I, I, I guess other half of yeah. my brain, like, <clears throat> we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll swap this. Uh, I get it. Liliana is obviously exceptionally good, but we have gotten so many good three drops since um like you know in rectos i mean that's why we would go three drop tribal because it has all the best three drops in bone crusher giant and graveyard trespasser things so it makes it hard for me to think like liliana isn't what i you know if you would have asked me like two years ago like, hey, how would Liliana be in Pioneer? I'd be like, best card in the format. Or at least, like, basically best card in the format. Completely dominant. Like, yeah. black decks are going to be everywhere. Um, and, like, Pioneer has definitely moved, not past Liliana, I don't think so at all, but, like, has caught up with Liliana, like, pretty rapidly. And that made me a little more, like, lukewarm on the card. I still think she's awesome. Very good card. Uh, I think people are very unnecessarily shitting on the card. Like, I see so much Discord, but like, well, it's actually that good. Or like, you know, I, I you know, in Rakdos, like, every three drop is absolutely better, and Liliana's going to be unplayable, and I'm just like, you're insane. Like, that is just absolutely not the case. Um, yeah, still fantastic card. 
Um, and what I think is an important factor, people are going to want to play Liliana. Even if, even if it is actually true that Bonecrusher Giant and all the other three drops that are now in Rakdos are, and Chandra as a four drop that you'd rather pay the mana, if it's all true that they're all better and the stock list of Rakdos shouldn't change, it will. Because people want to play with Liliana. Yeah. So if you go to an FNM, I think even to an RCQ or something, most Rakdos players will talk themselves into playing Liliana. So you should be prepared for Liliana. Yeah, I agree. 100%. But speaking of an RCQ, I have one that I'm going to in a few minutes. So... Reminders out the door. First things first, if you agree with our top 10, if you have any different things that you would want to suggest or cards that we missed or placements or whatever, or anything that we missed in terms of our evaluation of our cards, let us know. You can let us know on Twitter at Bradsford or Disciple of Bullis. Oh shit, it's not Disciple of Bullis. It's Alex Lockdwayne, the better name. <laughs> so you can let us know at Twitter for those accounts as well. Uh, or you can go on Discord. Uh, there's the Playway Discord server, which is the one that we've always been pushing for the entirety of this podcast existence. If you want to play Paper Magic, hop in. If you want to hang out, talk, message us, whatever. And have the mailbag. Especially the spoiler season was so fast. Again, like I only read my honorable mention this morning. Mm -hmm. I can absolutely imagine that there's another card that I just like. I don't know, reading it, I thought it was four mana and it's three. And I'm like, wait, what the fuck? This is three mana. Yeah. So if you have a card where you're like, how did you miss this? Just drop it in. The, you can even, if you don't feel like writing it all up, just drop it in the mailbag. Just a picture of the card. Also, like, give us I a break in the sense that we did the last spoiler episode on Thursday, which that episode is now live. And then it is Saturday, two days later early in the morning yeah i normally have more time to list. think <laughs> yes we literally were time constrained for many reasons but if you want to support the show there is patreon uh if alex can pull the patreon names to thank them in a second while i'm going through the rest of the spiel we'll get back to that so if you want to go and join the patreon there are things for suggesting episode segments and things like that there's just supporting the show in general which we always support uh or actually uh thank and appreciate uh, there's merch, all that good stuff. There's ink gaming stuff as well for two links in the description. There's the ink gaming for our store, ink gaming for affiliate. Other one helps us and supports us. Um, there's uh, that's pretty much it. There's playing pioneer articles, playing pioneer videos, all that stuff. There's my personal YouTube channel, which we've done a few things on. So there's many different ways to help and support us and allow this channel and this podcast to grow. Alex, who are we thanking today? Patrons, we've got Sir Epic, Bridger, also an Elk, Patrick Newman, Aaron Garrett, Will Ferguson, Aaron Richardson, Dwayne Lesnar, and then Kevin on Anchor. So thank you all very much for your support. We really appreciate yep. it. And it just like it's 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 honestly great motivation to see these type of things. Even the pay, but it even not a Patreon. Just I see a thing every once in a while. It appears on Twitter, on Discord, just like, hey, love what you do, you know, great episode today, uh, blah 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 really motivates us also um if you have any feedback um like constructive feedback also definitely let us know i noticed that i think two weeks ago or something we had an episode where the audio wasn't very good 
Yeah. Um, so I caught that and I tried to work on my audio setting, hoping it improves. So even if you catch those type of things, let us know. We can work on it and make yeah the podcast the best it can be. So thank yep. you all very much. And speaking of Epic, who is one of our Patreons, he's who I'm seeing today at the RCQ. He's driving all the way from Orlando, and he's bringing some buddies of his from there as well. So that's going to be fun. He's on Enigmatic Fires. I already know. He's going to talk about Leyline Binding so much today. Oh, I know. Like, just and if beware. I, beware. If I get mashed up against him, I'm going to kill myself because I'm on Rakdosak. But that's <laughs> going to do it for us this week. Hopefully I do well in the RCQ today. I'll let you know next week on our next episode how we do and i'll go through all that and uh we hope you listen to us next week so thank you again we appreciate you we love you and we'll hear from you soon bye-bye